Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here, here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. games. And today we're talking about the top 10 games we're enjoying in 2023 so far. Hey, so we're doing this again. We did it last year. People really enjoyed it. And the way I took this prompt is to be, these are the games, not necessarily best games we reviewed for this show. This is the games that we're playing that are hitting our table. The games that we've enjoyed literally playing the most so far this year. And for me, it might not even be games that I played for the first time this year. This no, is just, for sure. Yeah, these are just games that I'm enjoying a lot in 2023. Mine is absolutely not limited to 2023 releases in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I guess that would be kind of anathema to what we do in general. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, here's the hotness. <laughs> oh my gosh. Before we get into that, Brendan, I'd love to take the opportunity to read a recent review we got. Thank you so much, y'all, we for sending in reviews. Please keep them coming because this is just such a fun way to start the show. It means so much to us and it really helps out the show. So this is actually a special one that I'm delayed to read and it comes to us from Tiva Weva via Apple Podcast, and it's a five-star review titled Outstanding. I initially began listening to because Jake and my son Christopher played magic together as kids, but I continue listening because every episode is so entertaining and informative. The personal way the hosts interact with each other and detailed yet easy to digest way they describe and dissect games is exceptional. I have oodles of new games on my wish list now, as well as a few removed from it. Thanks, guys. That was an incredible review. Uh, I did not know Christopher. And I will just say thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Jake, for being wonderful. So this listener had an in. And also thank you so much for continuing to listen. And I'm so glad we have added games to your list and taken them off. Also, oodles might be the best word ever uttered in one of our reviews. So hats off. And for me, I mean, I can't even tell you how much this just warmed my heart reading it uh, and just instantly sparked so many great memories hang out in the basement at your house, Tiva, playing games with Chris. I remember uh, that y'all had like the World of Warcraft game way back in the day. I remember playing a lot of Super Smash Bros. Melee down there uh, in Chris's room. And of course, you know, driving to St. Louis with Chris and just so many fond memories. So I hope y'all are doing well. And thanks again for sending in the review. All right, let's do it, Jake. I want to know what you've been enjoying in 2023 so far. But I'm curious, do you have any honorable mentions on your list? Or do you just do a clean cut, dry, nicely shaven top 10? Of course, I have honorable mentions. So I put in 14 games into the Pub Meeple ranking and to get my top 10 list. That's my process. It helps me to actually see two games next to each other. And then I can make that decision so much easier than doing a top 10. I just don't know where to start with that at all. I, I figured, out, can I chime in about my process just really quickly? Yeah, I guess. Like all good stories, mine started with Excel. <laughs> <laughs> so I just typed in a bunch of games that I've been enjoying. Uh, so I, I first just like thought, how many games can I get on this list? And then I went and looked at what we've covered on the show, my collection, also Board Game Arena, to see if I missed anything. Nice. And then I ranked them within Excel. Similar, yeah. similar to me for a starting point. I also did not include any sports on this list <laughs> thank goodness disc golf and kickball were eligible they would be right at the top okay are they one Love and two those. Pro yeah probably they would be like my perennial one and two so just consider them at rank zero on my list shout out to my kickball crows we're absolutely killing it in uh our recreational league i think we got like fourth place out of eight so That's how about that Let's go. But you beat the top ranked team, right? Yeah, we beat the undefeated okay. team. It meant nothing. But in the last game of the season, we handed a big fat L to the undefeated team. Sometimes the things that mean the least can mean the most. It felt amazing. I'll just share one other anecdote. But there was like a moment when we were, were playing pretty competitively with a team that's just much better than us. Uh, and they scored a run and the guy who like kicked in the run was just like let's go you know like getting so hyped yeah. up for me that was just so validating i was like yeah the crows we're doing something like we're really out here playing some stingy defense felt so amazing that's so sick 
Anyway, <laughs> stingy. <people. laughs> so anyway, totally derailed. The games that did not make my top ten list that are board games are Can't Stop and been enjoying that online. Barrage, another one we reviewed really highly. Uh, Keyforge, getting delivered some new products, got it to the table a few times, but I just haven't really dove into it enough yet this year to justify a spot on the top ten. And lastly, Crokinole. Uh, That has come into my life in a big way this year, and I've had a complete blast playing it sort of before game night, after game night, and also quite a few memorable games of Crokinole at the Gamer's Ranch. Yeah, that's sick. Okay, my honorable mentions, speaking of stingy defense, that's how I play Colorado, and that's on my honorable mentions list. Uh, I just really love Colorado. Colorado is a, I would say like a foundational set collection game with a really novel drafting mechanic that Jake and I like probably more than we should. No, it's just really good. Colorado is just great. Can I ask a question? Please. Can I add Colorado to my honorable mention list? All right, I'm doing it. Let's do it. Colorado's good. It's so fun. Colorado secretly is the foundation on which many games have been built, but it's just, it's so it's some games are just so like almost basic, like taken for granted. Like you can take Colorado's brilliance for granted. I think also on my list is district noir, which is, uh, it was originally called called throne and grail. It's a two player game. Uh, that's also a set collection game, more or less, uh, that has a lot of tension and interesting potential different victory conditions that it's, it's just a fun light card game that I, I recommend people check out. It's on board game arena. Uh, and then my final honorable mention, Jake, we got to talk about this for a minute actually okay. is barrage. Hey, I, I, you, we, we really like barrage. Why is it not in our top tens? I think partly because of just time. Yeah. We re- reviewed this at the beginning of the year. So I was playing it a lot then and haven't been playing it a lot now. And I think part of that too is the weight of the game. So yeah. when it's hard for me to just like start up another game of Raj, because I almost feel like I'd have to relearn it or at least mm. parts of it. So maybe it's just not quite as sticky as some of the other games that I've played and learned recently that I feel like are more approachable, just like jump in a game online of. Yeah, yeah, I really love Barrage. I think it's brilliant. I the degree of interaction is just amazing, and I always feel like I'm forced to make new decisions every time I play that game, which is fun. And I I also feel like I'm forced to make painful decisions, which is also kind of fun. Uh, but it's it is much heavier than my typical taste. So I think for me, that's partially what is keeping it out of there. I just addressing like bias. I think games that I'm able to play a lot tend to creep up in my list. And just by nature of being a long game, Barrage, I haven't played quite as much as maybe I would play a more medium weight game. And I think maybe that's keeping it in HMs for me. Yeah, I think another just factor of these lists in general is playing a game on the table counts a lot for me when I'm going through these lists. So Barrage is one I've only been able to enjoy online on Board Game Arena. So when it like gets flashed up on the pub meeple ranking versus another game that I can just like immediately spark like a visceral memory of playing that game on the table and like people laughing around or you know yelling at each other or whatever it's difficult for me to be like well this is like a really technically better puzzle you know i'm just like i just slam click the other one that was like funny in that one moment okay you perfectly set me up for my number 10 so can i do it yeah let's get started the number number 10 10 (laughs) game that i'm enjoying so far in 2023 best list (laughs) <laughs> is Imperial 2030. Ooh. So Jake and I played Imperial 2030 together on the table at Geekway to the West. This is a Matt Gertz game in which uh, there's a rondel. It's, it's a rondel driven game. So you're taking actions in sequence and you are cyclically taking those actions. Uh, they all have a relationship, but it's that core system is sort of juxtaposed with or overlaid with a game of global conflict, diplomacy, uh, etc., in which each player doesn't play a country, but instead plays a, a private enterprise who has a share in all of the countries potentially on the table, or some of them, and you at sort of vie for that con- country's position. This game, when we played it on the table at Geekway to the West, we played with five? Do we play with six? I think we played with six. Yeah, it was, it was a full six-player six. game. It was yeah, six no, players, it was six. which is too many. Yes, but, agreed. But... 
so the experience and the the emotional sort of what I remember about that game is just sitting across the table from people who I had either shared ownership with in countries and sort of side eyeing them like I'm sitting at a work meeting being like we have to that's make something happen here like we have to make it happen well also like the person on the border with me I vividly remember uh, we were playing with uh, someone named Manatee uh, is their discord name and I had most of the control of the country who controlled Africa and he had most of the control of the country who controlled India and I just I remember quietly dying inside every t- every moment we like looked across the table basically being like please don't attack Africa I can't protect it I am I am laid naked and bare on this table like if you could destroy me and I just those it's an emotionally resonant game that made me feel things. And I, I really liked it. I want to play more of it. I also, frankly, would never play it with six again. I thought that yeah. was ridiculous. And I want to try Navigador, Matt Gertz's other Rondell game that has a similar feel, but is a little bit, from what I gather, a little more Euro, a little less risk type conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Having played Antica 2 recently, very similar much more streamlined so like that is like if you have five players i would go there yeah four i just want to try imperial 2030 at with four players exactly i think think that would really be good i would be very excited to try that again you're right that was a it was an interesting and intriguing play it's like there's something fun here and the theme is so cool especially compared to like antica 2 which is very tired i guess Yeah. But yeah, so I think I think that's a great pick. Brendan, my number 10, if we can move on to that, is this is gonna surprise you. Magic the Gathering. What? Yeah, I am surprised. Yeah, Magic the Gathering actually edged out Keyforge on this year's list, which certainly is the first year that I'm saying that since the release of Keyforge. So yeah. Maybe the rumors are true and Keyforge's star is falling just a bit, if I'm saying that. The real reason that magic made it on my list is just because i've had so many more fun plays of magic than i have playing keyforge and that's because uh whenever a new set comes out or every so often when a new set comes out i'll get together with some friends do a draft we just do like the most casual iteration of a draft that you can imagine we draft our decks we just play round robin just best of one and just have a good time for like four hours and then we're done. And especially most recently, we played the Journeys to Middle-Earth set, mm. which is like, I'm not even a Lord of the Rings guy at all, but like just the thematic richness of that world poured it over so perfectly. Some of the most fun and like most thematic games of Magic that I've played recently. Specifically, there's this mechanic about like being a ring bearer and people are just like slamming their wedding rings on the table. It's like the <laughs> ring token, you know, and moving them around their guy. And it, it, and, uh, it was a totally fun afternoon. Uh, one of the highlights of gaming for me this year. And I think Magic is always just going to be great for that. Like you could just get together. People knows the rules. It's going to be a ton of variety. So I never see myself getting back into like the competitive magic. I was playing with Chris back in the day. I still enjoy it time to time with some good friends. Magic is many games. And I think, you know, people often talk about how Commander is kind of like the perfect casual format. But I think you and I are this other ilk. And I think you have the dream format. A casual draft once every time a set comes out is sort of, it's like, that's the, that's the dream. I want to do it. I need it. Okay. That's amazing though. I will, I'll, I'll back Keyforge up a little bit. This is my moment because it's not on my top 10. So I guess I'm not backing it Ooh, up. Ooh, I thought hard. it might be. No, but I got my shipment and my name deck is a Mars deck that just gushes tokens onto the table and can basically, with the right draw, just call Mars the whole game and win. So I've been playing more Keyforge than I've played in a long time and I'm loving it. I still think the systems are brilliant. I want there to be more. I hope the game finds its footing again post-pandemic. We'll see. We got to do our battle of the Jake deck versus the Brendan deck. Oh my God. Heck yeah. That'd be awesome. Okay. My number nine game is, I think... On brand this year, we've we've talked a lot about Kramer and Kiesling's Kramer and Kiesling games all year, Jake. And I think you and I have sort of maybe a little bit kind of like fallen in love with their games as as just like game players. We're just kind of fascinated by how puzzly they can be, but also how interactive. So for me, my number nine is Renature. Renature is a game that no one except uh, 
Kramer and Kiesling would have designed. It's a domino driven area control game in which you're trying to sort of control areas by placing dominoes next to them, but also control areas by placing dominoes into them. It has a really open decision space that gives players lots of agency, but at the same time is also approachable enough that I could take it home on a holiday and teach my mom. And that's kind of approaching a perfect game for me. I think this would be higher if I owned it and had played it on the table. Uh, I've only played this game online and I, I think of it often. And yeah, I just, this is an amazing game. I imagine this is probably on your list too. We'll see. But what strikes me is that Renature kind of, I don't know, in some ways, like every play is so different, which is remarkable for a game where the board never changes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to pick up a copy. It's a yeah. I need one. I'm going to snag it before it goes out of print. Since it came out and was like solidly by most critics, we're like, this is good, and we're sort of like, this is amazing. Yeah. So there's a really great shut up and sit down review recently where they review Golem and talk about sort of how like all the Euro games that are released, like big Euro games, are like good. And mm. I think Renature is a game that falls into that category on first blush, but with like repaint. Yeah. You know, there's something about the deep dive format that allows us, I think, sometimes to get beyond that first play of like, yeah, it's good. And then you play it five, 10, 12 times. And then you realize, okay, there's something special here. And I think Renature falls into that category. Totally. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. My number nine game is another one that we have covered on this show. So I don't need to belabor it too much, but it's My City by Reiner Knizia. It's, you know, I'll just highlight once again, one of the best things about this game is the eternal version of the game. That's what's been getting play for me out of my box. And I think uh, with that, you know, reverse side eternal version of the game, it's just an absolutely delightful game to introduce to people who maybe haven't played games at all or like games, but don't have a big collection or like a big, you know, lexicon of the types of terminology we use to like teach more complicated games quickly. So I find myself off in a situation where I've got like 30 or 45 minutes to play a game, teach and everything. And my city has become a go-to for that in those scenarios. And it's just been a hit every time. Uh, and it's And for me, it's still fun too, which I think sometimes games that fall in that category i can quickly grow tired of if i'm like pulling them off myself a lot to be like oh this is like kind of a quick one we can play and so far i still really dig all my plays of this my city reiner knizia my number nine game i think that what you just described jake happened for me with king domino but hasn't happened yet for my city like it got a little stale eventually okay that's just a little aside because my number eight game is also knizia i think this year i'm using this as an opportunity to reflect on the show a little bit too this year, if not the end of last, I feel like we've we've solidified our reputation as being Kinesia stands. Like to a to maybe a level that is like some folks have been like, is this just the Kinesia podcast? Okay, yeah, N- enough with the Kinesia games. N- no, it's not. But my number eight game of the year is Zuvatis. I was lucky enough to play an advanced release copy of Zuvatis at Geekway to the West. I played it twice. Zuvatis is a negotiation game in which players have unique player factions, except their factions are just animals, and their animals all have unique powers. But the twist is, you can't use your powers on yourself. You can only use your powers on other people, because this is a negotiation game where you're trying to advance your own position while also helping others along, but making sure you end up one in the uh, sort of final place that you can reach. You're, you're progressing through this map, this garden, this zoo uh, into this like final area. Uh, so you have to make it there, but you also have to make it there with the most points. So it's a tricky puzzle of hidden information where you're underhandedly making deals uh, that might come back to bite you. You're also at times just trying to be the one who's a part of any deal that could be made. And also focus on, I, I think one thing I want to make clear about Zuvatis is something I really love about it is there's a, it, it writes this line of like, I want to focus on a few core uh, sort of plans that I have, but I also don't want to, I also don't want to overinvest. I want to spread, spread out, make sure I have a few investments more or less in the board, but I don't want to spread myself so thin. I have no power. I think it hits a lot of notes. It does this in a 60 minute experience that emotionally I think has reached 
high points and low points that few games I've played this year have reached. So for that reason, this game had to be on my top 10. Uh, it's a game that I, I'll just keep the memories I had playing it forever, I think, or like for a long time. And uh, it's zany. If you don't like Cosmic Encounter, you might not like Zuvatis, but it doesn't outstay its welcome. And it's a game I really want to return to because two plays is nowhere near enough. Uh, so this game's coming out this fall. You should check it out. It's my number eight game I'm enjoying so far this year. And it's Reiner Kinizia's Zuvatis. I'm never going to forget either of the two games of <laughs> Zuvatis we played at Geekway, but especially that first one. <laughs> Just oh the way God. that that ending went down. That was... That was something special. If you want to hear about that, you got to go back and listen to the Geekway Plays episode. Which All is, right. uh, can I, I just want to say the episode number because I don't yeah, like leaving yeah, yeah. people hanging. It's episode 121. We cover extensively why that was the mic drop of the year for us. Yeah, that was a wild one. My number eight game of the year is Findorf by Freedom and Frieza. Nice. Another game I played at Geekway and then picked up a copy after because I had such a good couple of plays there. Uh, then I played it. I brought it to Gamers Ranch and played it there. And then I played it again at LTFCon just recently. Uh, so every time I've played this game, I've been teaching new players. And I think I'm getting better at the teach uh, nice. to help people like avoid pitfalls. But my hope is that so I think right now I've enjoyed all my plays of this game. It's been like very good experience every time, maybe just falling shy of like truly exceptional. But I haven't yet to play because every time I've played it, there have been at least some new people involved. I've yet to play like the variant setup where you draft out the structure cards, which are so key to this engine building game. And I think that. I, I just have like a hunch that that's going to like open this up and, and turn it into a really exceptional experience to play this with people that all know the rules and then try it with that variant way. So I want to I, I, I'm like, you know, hopefully I'm like seeding the ground so that the opportunity to like harvest that with this like one epic play of Findorf uh, will happen. But yeah, I've, I've been enjoying the plays a lot and I want to keep playing it. So and just the fact that like I've found the opportunity to get it to the table. Yeah. It's, four times already this year. It had to be on this list. It's a really special weight of game where it feels it feels like a really full, like satisfying board game experience, but flies and is not that hard of a teach but is also like there's a lot of systems to engage with. Basically, what you're saying is when you just play the entry level game, which you've played four times, you're dealt a hand of cards, which is a strategic path picked by Freedom and Freeze for you. And the game's amazing that way. But if you draft it, you get to draft your own strategic path for the game, which is like total freedom. And I think would be amazing. This is the kind of game where if we if we were like in college and lived together, I think we would just play it every day every day for like a month and you would beat me every time and it would never get old is my is my sort of guess it's just like a card game and amazing a board game all in one when i think back on like sort of like my gaming yeah. experience or whatever i kind of have like a fondness for like when i was first learning games and like those yeah. first groups i was playing with that just kind of has like a golden haze ever so often i'll like play a game and be like next time i get the chance to like meet up with those guys they would love this game and findorf is totally one of those yeah. games and then you know i've got like 25 of those games at this point like on hold for like you know the the getaway weekend for like the the boys or whatever where we're just gonna like play board games all the time that'll probably never actually happen Nothing. but uh yeah i i, I kind of do that same same kind of thought process with this one i'm also just like embarrassingly charmed by the theming of like representing this town in germany that i have no reason to ever have heard of except friedman freeze was from there mm -hmm. and at geekway we talked about this again on episode 121 the experience of being like the person who built the cemetery so every time someone dies i get paid i just it never gets old it's yeah. brilliant there's just okay. so many silly juxtapositions and like the way the board looks just being so bland. It makes yeah. it almost like seem like it's a heavier game than it is, but it really is like a medium light engine game. builder with yeah. that. You're just erecting the region of Findorf, which feels like a heavy thing to be doing in doing. a board game. Yeah. So anyway, that's Findorf, my number eight game. I think you should Another check it Rondell. out. 
Yeah. Oh, you're the Rondell. Yeah. Okay. So my number seven game of 2023 that I've been enjoying so far is Chicago Express, a train game that is very old, that is all about, again, shared ownership. Imperial 2023 was that for me. Zuvadis doesn't have that at all. I don't know why I just said that, but Chicago Express sure does. I've like enchanted by this game in a way I feel like I can't fully express. It is mathematically almost like aggravatingly tight and plays out ridiculously similarly almost every play, even though mostly because it's driven by these four railroad companies that existed in our world uh, and are basically designed such that they kind of are in a position that they have to figure out a way out of every single play. And every game has a limited set of actions that you can take. And most of the actions are kind of obvious and rote. It's it's completely opposite of everything I ever thought I would want in a game. And at the same time, I'm totally fascinated by it, feel like I can't play enough of it, have designed a game honestly inspired by it quite heavily. And I just love it. I think Chicago Express is one of the most exciting games I've played of, in, of 2023 by far. And it's not perfect, right? It's my number seven game, but I really like Chicago Express and it inspired me in a way that few games I've played have. And... It made me want to play more train games, which honestly, like, that's the tall order. Yeah. Which I can't believe I'm saying that since we're the train game podcast. Yeah, we are the train game podcast. Don't forget it. It's interesting that three of the four games that you've picked so far, I feel like, have been, like, games that have, like, really challenged you in a play. Like, Imperial 2030, Zuvatis, and Chicago Express. I'm just noticing a pattern that perhaps, like, you know, something that you like is yeah really that like variety of experience like getting challenged yeah. not just like oh this is really fun which i think is like what i kind of go towards <laughs> when i create this kind of list i think all three of those games too though jake are like surprisingly social yeah you know even chicago express because even it's sort Zubatis. of like, oh my gosh <laughs> zubatis is just the cosmic encounter of my 30s yeah like, right there you, you know go. like that's that's what it is okay my number seven game is the second Kramer and Keesling game that we're mentioning. Uh, and it is Savannah Park. I've talked nice. about Savannah Park on this podcast before. Super light family game where you are manipulating animal tiles on a personal player board to try and group those animals together. Like all the elephants, you want them together. All the giraffes, you want them together. And you all have the exact same set of tiles. I mean, it is so simple to teach and play that it's it's become one of my go-tos. And I think like the fact that it's so simple and stupid when you explain it to people, <laughs> there's like, this is dumb as hell. And then you start playing it and then things start going wrong. It just like, it, it makes the experience so fun. It's like the perfect distillation of like incidental interaction, like messing up your friend's plans, putting yourself into holes, making mistakes, and then getting like immediate feedback that you're dumb like all in basically a children's game uh it's like right now my number one game to like above uh my city for teaching people who are new to games or you know when there's short time and uh, you have to like teach and play a game in like 30 or 45 minutes i absolutely adore this game so that's savannah park my number seven game okay i just went to it's a i tried to go to game nerds but it's sold out so on Amazon, it's twenty eight dollars and thirty seven cents. I think I need to buy it. Dude, I feel like it's we, really fun. I know. Dang it! I'm also fascinated by this design. I think we should. I'm gonna. Uh, we'll talk. It'd okay. be difficult to I'm just, before you buy. It, I think it'd be a I difficult know. one to review on this show because like it six really times, is right? quite simple. <laughs> Over the course of the past like multiple, I would say year and a half, I've been like, Jake, should we cover Savannah Park? And Jake's always like, No. And then I always. That I don't buy it, but you keep telling me how awesome it is. So it's a static know. decision space. The decision <laughs> space is small. Okay. <laughs> 10 out of 10 game. Boom. Amazing. Reviewed. Okay. Well, we're going to continue on with this theme because in my number six game of the year, and the theme is uh, Michael Kiesling, <laughs> because oh my number six game of the year is just like OG original beautiful spanish box azul nice azul is just awesome it's such a good good game yeah game i when i was making this list so my and i have just been my wife have just been playing azul a lot this year it it's just a 
good game. I don't know. We don't get tired of it. It's fun. It's quick. It's that when you play it on the table, the the pieces are like joyful and clank with like a dissonant little clatter that's fun. It I think Azul, the thing about it is, you know, when you go to it, like eat a meal, it's nice when the perfect bite comes together for you naturally. Like some meals kind of force you to like, okay, I, I want like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And I kind of have to like pick at it to get the perfect bite. And most of the times the bite's not quite perfect. I'm just getting like pieces of the flavors I want. With Azul, like every place, every decision's like the perfect bite. Somehow it's just like, it's always there. It's all together. And it's it's always kind of the same decision, but the decision's just so good that it doesn't matter. And event this whole year, Jake, I've been like, okay, when we covered this game on the show back in episode 40, 50, whatever, I really liked the backside of the board. And I've been thinking, okay, eventually I'm going to get my, gonna be my question. I was going to ask if well, you played the backside of the board. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to do in 2024 because so far <laughs> I was like, when we get bored of the front side, I'll, I'll be like, Maya, we can play the back. And it just hasn't happened yet. And the back is amazing. The backside is so cool. It lets you trip over yourself. It's nuanced. But the front just, I don't know. It's its there. It has teeth. It's fun. You get to like give dagger eyes to each other as you really like apply some pain. I just think this game is, I don't know. I feel like the general board game community has maybe cooled a little bit on Azul. Not a ton. It still simmers on the, on the stove. But Azul is just... It's a great game. I think it's one of the best games Michael Kiesling has ever designed. Yeah, it's probably I, the best. I think interesting question about Azul, people kind of quieting on it or whatever. Sure. I think that's something that happens when games get like a lot of like sequels. Too popular. All oh, this, well, sure. Because I think it's people like will be like, well, I really like stained glass of Sintra sure. or I really like summer pavilion or queen's garden. So there it you know, all without those, like all the people are just probably on the Azul bandwagon. Totally. So I think it's probably releasing new editions is like bringing some people into the fold, of course, but also it's like dispersing your like concentration of adoration for right. one particular entry. Totally. My favorite Star Wars thing is the Clone Wars. Yeah, right. There that, you go. That, that is not my favorite Star Wars thing. But I'm just saying it dilutes the pot a little bit. Okay. I don't even have a favorite Star Wars thing. So I'll if let you, you know, can I tell you one. my real one? Andor. Lately? Andor. Oh, my oh gosh. I've heard that. I've heard that's good. Oh, it's like, not even just don't think I of heard it like Wars. all of the ones are good. You know, I always hear like, oh, this Star Wars thing is like really good. And then I like watch it and I just like, OK, but OK, Jake, I hear you. Don't watch The Mandalorian if you feel that way. Just watch Andor. Andor is set in Star Wars, but it's actually just like a Rebels Empire story about people who want the world to be the best it can be. Oh my gosh. And the acting. Okay, let's move on. What's okay. your number six? Well, game I'm glad that you're keeping the Star Wars fans <laughs> around from my slander. Uh, my number six game is a Steffenfeld game. And it is oh, thank goodness. Bonfire. Okay. Talked a lot about it on like the if you could only keep 10 games episode. It's one that has found its way to my table multiple times this year. I find it actually surprisingly easy to table and teach despite the the complicated appearance. And I think really people are just deceived because the theme, it's harder to understand the theme than it is to like understand the, the rules game. of the game. But yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant point salad puzzle by Steffenfeld. This one feels particularly sandboxy to me mm -hmm. in that uh, a major mechanism of the game is sailing boats to different islands and taking tasks off those that you then will try to achieve. I always like games that allow you to sort of like call your shot and this and then see if you can actually do what you've said that you've delivered. I think that's like just a really delicious way to get feedback and also give players the agency, you know, I always feel like the results are like deserved, right? It's like, okay, I accomplished what I set out to do, but I didn't set out to do enough, you know, and now I've like kind of wasted turns at the end. Very, very fun game. Highly recommend it. Plays really quick and really fantastically at two players as well, um, as, as well as higher player counts. Um, I also got to try out the expansion for the first time. Add some variety. I don't think that I honestly like loved this the expansion that much, but it you know is another reason to like get this to the table. And I was happy to play it, and I would happy to play with the expansion stuff again, just to, like add variety to this game. But yeah, it's it's quickly become one of my favorites of Felds, 
and it's just a fantastic game. So that's Bonfire, my number six. And that that's a game we covered back in episode 90 of the show. And you should definitely check out that episode because we go a lot. Uh, we go in depth on sort of what does it mean to be kind of like a sandbox game-ish? Because we talk about like find the path versus follow the path and what that means. I think Bonfire for me, Jake, is such a good example of why Feld's games remain in, like I'll play any Feld game you at, tell me I should play because his games are the opposite of derivative. He might be riffing on his own ideas, but they feel like nothing else anyone is really doing. Yes, they're Euro games, but I think he's just like in a class of his own doing a cool thing. And I always enjoy the decision space he creates. Yeah, I I wonder I on the point on the sandbox thing. I think yeah. sandbox games might just be really thematic point salad games at the end of the okay. day. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Which is an let's interesting. save that for another day. But I'm really excited to come back to that idea because you've been laying out a really compelling case, I would say, the last year of Feld Games, the unifying link being novel action selection. So maybe maybe 2024 is going to be the year we finally do like our Feld deep dive. Yeah, I would love that. All right. What is your f- number five? Where are the top five? You were top five now. We've crested into the top five. That's big. My number, my top five game, my number five of this year so far is that you've been enjoying. That I've been enjoying is (laughs) Tigris and Euphrates. Tigris and Euphrates is a a tile laying game by Renner Knizia, one of the originals. It's one of his most enduring and popular games of all time. Arguably one of the deepest games he's ever he's ever designed. And the reason why this is my number five game this year is that I've been playing it nonstop. I have a, I've had a game on Board Game Arena of Tigris and Euphrates literally since the beginning of the year until now, just going uh, with Decision Space folks. And I feel like I'm understanding the game in a much more nuanced, more meaningful way. And I think I had a really good understanding of the game when we covered it back in episode 62 and 63, when we did our two parts. And I'm shocked that I feel like now I have even better of an understanding. I also, I've exclusively been playing it at four. Before co- covering it on the show, I played it a lot at two. I played it at three. I played it at four. Uh, lately, I'm just playing it at four because I think four is undisputably the best player count. And the strategy and tactics that you can pull off are really interesting because the board is just set. But depending on where people put their leaders, the strategies available to you can really shift. And also depending on the tiles that you draw, the strategies available to you can really shift. And I think that uh, it's just engaging, interesting, and fun. And has, the the for me, the perfect combination of luck and randomness and strategy and tactics. I no. always feel like when I win, it's because I have... The I made the best decisions, and when I lose, I often feel it's because I made the worst, I made poor decisions, and was dealt a bad hand. And I think that that is a recipe for a game I want to keep exploring, and a game that I'm just not going to get tired of. I don't know. It also, Jake, the the for me, the other thing is the drama of this game is really good. The system of like turns without wars and turns with wars, turns without revolts, turns with revolts, thinking through other people at the ta- doing at the table. It's a nuanced, interesting game that feels like a compelling drama every time I play it. I'm mad I like this game as much as I do. It's just about putting squares on a freaking grid. You just love games that just like beat you into the ground. Yeah. Like I it's do. just like another game that like you'll just have turns of this game <laughs> where it just like I guess you I can lost. just like just get punished just so hard for just like off like the <laughs> smallest like chance or like things going wrong and just like you could be just like booted out of contention of this game like way early on, kind of like in Chicago Express. I'm just noting a trend. Kick me in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well brendan that game did you know that game came out all the way back in 1997 so my number five game is going to be a little bit more recent than that oh. emphasis on little because it came out in 1999 what <laughs> so is it two years later torres oh by, wow by kramer and keesling so our Let's third go. kramer and keesling game so i kind of went down a path this year uh Starting at Geekway, where we we tried T-Call for the first time. Then I tried Kuzco. uh, And 
after that, I tried Torres. All these games have very similar action selection and kind of territory control. Not territory control, more like area majority stuff going on. It's almost like different than that even. It's like yeah. it's like a very like fluid areas that you're like building up over the course of the game together. Control for points <laughs> system. Um, and out of all those games, Torres has been by far my favorite. I like the fact that it trims down the 10 action points that people get per turn in T-Call to a, a nice, crisp, streamlined five. Uh, I like that there are really interesting card plays. Uh, it feels like a game that just has like, you know, it's a very much an, like an abstract feeling strategy game. So I feel as though there's a ton of depth and skill ceiling to it. Uh, I also had the opportunity to play it on at the table at Gamers Ranch, and that has been that was one of my like highest point of like just like a singular play that I had all year. Uh, wow. We were like at the Gamers Ranch, which is already just like a really fun place to be. It was like post lunch, so we we're just like full. All of a sudden, like a huge storm kind of rolled across the lake. We were like sitting up on the second floor, like overlooking the storm coming in like perfect inside board gaming and we were playing torres which is just a fantastic game that i am enjoying more and more with each play so i've been playing a lot on yukata as well uh i've been kind of itching to pick up a copy i haven't pulled the trigger yet just because i've had like sort of unplayed stuff to get through but i i think i want to i think i probably will uh i think it's awesome yeah also, it has the most like brain burning deep card system I've played in a game this year, I think. It just gives you so much agency, Jake. Like you the the mechanic yeah. of like like you draw three cards and then you pick which card do you want in your hand, which card goes on the top, and which card goes on the bottom of the deck. And but then could, the two you don't use, you could put both you could put Oh on wait, top it's or even bottom. deeper. Either oh or my yeah. Gosh. So you, and then you take those cards into your hand for future actions. It's just like obscenely deep. Yeah. This game's intimidating to me, even though it's so simple and approachable, which is why actually we're not a Kinesia podcast. We're a Kramer and Keys League podcast because my number four game of the year is Kuzco. Wow. Kuzco <laughs> was originally released as Java. Uh, and this is another action point game by Kramer and Keesling. So this was rethemed and released much more recently and is a tile lane game in which everyone you're playing tiles out to the uh, a shared board that are representing the Andes. And you are trying to build temples. You're trying to move your, your Incans around the map to block each other. So it has this really interesting area controlled kind of blocking mechanic where you want to have your people on the highest points on these individual regions. There's a little bit of a set collection me mechanic where you're trying to also host festivals that will score points. And it has the building up of areas and uh, sort of point scoring potential of Tikal's temples all kind of mixed in. And Cusco, like as Jake enjoyed that Toros reduces the action point system from a mind-bogglingly high number of 10 in Tikal to five, Cusco also had the brilliant foresight to, uh, when they designed this follow-up to Tikal to say, maybe six is enough. We'll go with six. Uh, so it has six action points. And I just think it's a wonderful, challenging, interesting game. I love tiling and spatial puzzles, so it gives you a bit of that. It also gives you area control, and it also really forces you to think about what other people are trying to accomplish and what their outs might be in a way that I don't feel I engage with in a typical Euro game quite as much. Uh, in a way that I do with card games that I love, and it feels really refreshing to have it in a board game experience. I think that all of the Mass Trilogy games, maybe outside of Torres, are a little long. So for me, my one knock against Kuzco is because it's prone to AP, because it's an action point game, it can be a little long. But I also really enjoy it, so I don't really care. And it's good at two, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you're enjoying your time with the game, then it kind of doesn't matter, right? It, it, exactly. It becomes a problem when you're like, this is going long and I'm not enjoying, enjoying this part of it. Yeah. it's. I think Cusco and Torres are like so similar, but different on the way the map works. Like mm. the map in Cusco just feels enormous. Like yeah, it's, it's crazy. just huge. Whereas like in Torres, it feels like so it's tight, tiny. right? 
yeah. it's tiny, like you're bumping into each other like right away. So I think that's just a really interesting distinction. Like for me, Cusco feels way more intimidating because of like the map. And it's just so heavy on like spatial reasoning skills, which is not probably my mm. strong point. I spend like a lot of time just like trying to like, oh shit, like I'm trying to like work out like the way I can puzzle these pieces together in a profitable way. And everybody's kind of like watching me do this on my own turn and like waiting, like that's <laughs> sure. pressure, right? So I think that like for me was kind of the thing that like did not appeal to me as much. Mm. But I think both these games are winners and are just are going to like appeal to people slightly differently based on their preferences for yeah. gameplay. I think that's really well put. I love spatial puzzles and I like them more than you. So that I think that's why Cusco takes the cake for me. And then in Torres, the spatial puzzle is almost like a tracking system in a way. It's weird. We should, we're going to talk about Torres more. Yeah. Well, on to something totally different. My number four game uh, that I've been enjoying so far in 2023 is a Kramer and Kiesling game, Renature. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Okay, great. Number four. So we already talked about this. The only thing I'll add is I could recently uh played the brand new renature valley expansion paul solomon friend of the show picked it up for me at at gen con because he knew i'm such a fan of this game the you mentioned how it plays so differently despite being one board well the expansion adds two new boards a double-sided board and here's here's some of the hooks brendan do you know anything about this expansion no okay great so one of the boards all the starting spaces are on the outside of the board. So instead of all being on one side, there's one on each of the four different sides of the board. And then on the other side of the board, they all start in the middle and then go out. What? That's crazy. And there's one other thing the expansion adds, which is mushroom pieces. So there's like these stumps that are printed on the board in the paths where you'll lay your tiles. And if you place a tile onto a stump, you pick up a mushroom you pick it up flip it over and it's a mushroom tile and you can put that orthogonally adjacent to any of the areas okay from area majorities and it adds to it and it can even connect two areas together what? So one you area to change be, the board yeah and then the scoring works a little bit differently so that it works with this um because so you only will score at the end of the game now because an, a finished area could now become unfinished when it gets combined with another area so like i set up a crazy play in the one play of this i've had so far where at the end of the game i like on my last turn took a double turn to get a mushroom so that i could add two areas together and one of the areas i'd already set up with neutral pieces to like balance out his pieces in that other area so that i would get like the first and second place points for it That's so there's crazy swingy plays it allows for uh but yeah so I don't think it's like an essential expansion by any means, but it does. I think it's like perfect for the game system of where it's just like adds variety to a game where it's like almost like the only potential knock against it. It sounds like Renature 2. That's wild. That's so cool. I want to play that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Okay. My number three game of the year is one that Jake and I have played an immense amount, covered on the show, and both definitely adore. And it's challengers challengers is an auto battler drafting game in which you're collecting sets of cards and running them up against other players decks in a round robin style tournament and there are sort of set archetypes but it's also one of the most flexible game systems sort of strategically that i've ever interacted with at least sort of pound for pound given the weight of game that's there this is a really light game that has a shocking amount of depth and complexity gives you room for interesting decisions a little bit of creative expression and risk-taking and it's just a lot of fun i never played challengers and been bored uh i've always been excited to see what will happen next even when i'm losing which i think is the mark of a really good game a really well-designed game and also having played this well over a hundred times, a game that I enjoy spending my time with. If you want to hear more of my thoughts and Jake's thoughts, we did a deep dive of this in episode 129. I know this is going to be on Jake's list, so I'm going to keep it short so he can talk about it more when that comes. Halloween deck is the best if it comes together. And that's Challengers, my number three game I've been enjoying of 2023 so far. Also one that's inspired Jake and I to just like have lots of interesting design discussions and also is so simple and approachable and 
almost perfect that it's kind of intimidating to think about how someone could follow it up. Maybe I forgot to include it. Uh, is it okay oh. with you if I put it as an honorable mention? Heck yeah. All Did right, you really? cool. We'll see. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Number three for me is a Steppenfeld game, Trajan. Okay. So I played Trajan for the first time at Geekway Mini back in January. I was taught by a friend of the show, Joe Punman, uh, and had an absolute blast learning and playing this game with him uh, and, and his buddy, I think Bill. And it was one of the highlights of the whole weekend for me, uh, of a weekend of highlights. Uh, and since then, I've been like, wow, this game is really good. Uh, and I've been wanting to play it more. Had the opportunity at, with Laughing Table Friends. I think we pl- we played it with three or four. Uh, and, and had, again, you know, just a completely awesome time playing Trajan. And then the next weekend, I think somebody had to cancel last minute. So we needed an audible. And we just played Trajan again. So we played Trajan for back-to-back weeks, which is unheard of for the Laughing Table Friends. I think that's a first. And I think maybe some of the other people were like, okay, let's do something different. But not me. I, I could play Trajan every week and i think i would be happy i just love it so much i love the moncala action selection Mm. puzzle with a designer famous for unique action selection mechanisms this might be the best one Mm. even more so than castles of burgundy which is obviously a classic and amazing game for so many reasons but yeah trajan it just it just sings for me it does everything that I want in games. It's interactive enough. I'm never bored for a moment. Uh, It goes around the table quite quickly. uh, And it feels like I'm constantly being surprised by novel challenges to overcome and clever plays by my opponent. Uh, It's an oldie, but I I mean, it holds up. It's as good as anything that's been released in the past 10 years, in my opinion. That's Trajan by Steffenfeld, my number three game of the year. I'm dying to play this game and I'm so happy that there's another felt on your list just so we can, you know, keep the brand shiny. <laughs> At least yours. My number two game of the year. I wonder if it's on your list, but we'll see. It's another Kinesia because, you know, I got a, I have the, the heart tattoo with Kinesia in it on my left arm. So I have to, I'm like contractually obligated to have Kinesia, but it's wrong. Yeah, I had to get my mom heart covered up. It, with, yeah, exactly. With a bigger Kinesia. Exactly. Yeah. So Raw was re-released this year. And I think Raw is one of the... I, I'm a huge fan of modern art. I really like High Society. I haven't yet played Medici. And I really wanted to buy a copy of Raw. I was going to buy the original fina, uh, Fantasy Flight version. It's not actually the original. Actually, did they, besides the point. A new version came out from 25th Century Games. It was gorgeous. It was a perfect excuse to go back and explore Raw. So I got to play Raw on the table with Jake and Bridget. Uh, and I've also played Raw an immense amount, or at least like a, a solid amount with Maya on the table at two. And I think that Raw is just a wonderful auction game that hits a lot of different notes. There's push your luck, there's set collection. It's kind of an efficiency puzzle. And at its core, it has one of the most novel currency systems I've ever seen in an auction game that makes the decision space just like endlessly interesting because the money you bid with becomes basically what you're bidding on is the money that you'll have in the next round and tiles that will score you points. So it it juxtaposes these really tough decisions at times where it's basically impossible to evaluate how good something will be and puzzling through that uncertainty and making a guess based on what could happen based on what's already out is just really fun. It has, again, really good high dramatic moments and I think easy decisions at times that keep the pace flowing. Uh, I kind of, Raw is complex enough and interesting enough, despite being really approachable and easy to teach and learn, that I'm really excited to see everything there still is to experience in Raw, because despite playing it around 15 times, I know that there's a lot of unique and interesting games tucked away amongst its hundreds of tiles. So Raw is my number two game I'm enjoying so far this year, and I can't wait to play it more. Yeah, it's a pretty good game. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, my number two game for 2023 that I've been enjoying so far is Raw by Reiner Knizia. Hey, we doubled up on the exact number. That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think for me, what stands out the most 
from this is how it's just there's so much laughing and joy and excitement baked into this game. Like it's a game that just is so much bigger than its rule set on the mm. table. Yeah. Everybody's having a good time when they play it. Uh, people are getting like emotional. There are bad breaks. There are good breaks. You know, you don't see people on their phones when you're playing raw. Like you could be out for the round and you're still so excited or uh, frustrated or annoyed because of like whatever's coming out of the bag now. Uh, and you're just remain engaged with it. So I think when I was doing my pub meeple ranking and like comparing it to all these other games that I also love, you know, I just see raw and i just know that when this game is coming out when it's coming off the shelf i'm teaching with new people uh that they're going to be like laughing and having a great time and some of these other games it feels like it's a more specific audience right there's like more of a risk there of, like is this going to hit or not and i feel like raw is just like no this this is gonna you're in for a good time no matter who you are i love it no truly yeah okay well <sighs> talked about protecting brands i guess like i Kenitsi is my favorite designer of all time. I think he's amazing and has inspired my whole taste and ethos in games. So this year, maybe no one will be surprised to know that a Kenitsia game is my number one game I'm enjoying so far in 2023. I'm really excited. I don't know. That probably won't be true for forever, but I'm really excited that he's still designing lots of amazing games uh, and lots of interesting and novel games that have stuck with me. So my number one game of the year is My City. Before playing My City, I thought I would never play a legacy game I enjoyed. Uh, I felt they were too long, uh, a little bit, I don't know, too demanding, too insipid maybe but my city is light they can get a little bloated a little bloated for sure my city you know my city at times in the campaign maybe gets there i've played it three times so clearly it's not to the point where i have an issue with it because i would play it a fourth time if presented the opportunity i think it's amazing and i think the the campaign of my city shows how malleable game systems really are and it could only pr be produced by a designer with as much experience as Kenizia, with as good of instincts as Kenizia, to guide you through the sort of different ways he can contort this puzzle to show you interesting things that play upon your expectations for what the puzzle can and can't accomplish. Uh, it's fun. It's engaging. It has no story, and that's exactly how it should be. It's a really good game. And, it, you know, Jake, looking at my list, my heart... A metric of games I love is like, have I pl played a play of this this year where like I can feel my heart racing? There's a few games on this list where that's true, but one of them is absolutely my city where my and I had a campaign play of this where it came down to the final game neck and neck. And I just playing those tiles down, I, I was like, I was really moved. It was exciting, compelling and fun. We followed up and played a campaign that was likewise really tight. There was back and forth, really interesting. I think it makes brilliant design decisions. I've said it on the show before, but I think if this was loaded onto Windows 95, it would be like a world famous game like Tetris that none of us would ever really forget. Uh, and then like a cherry on top, there's the Eternal game, which is really a, a second hidden game in the box that you could buy this game just to play the Eternal game. And it's one of the best tiling games I've ever played. I love My City. I think it's it's just like an incredible polyomino game and probably, for me, up there with Tetris as one of the best polyomino games ever made. It's just so good. I probably have My City too low on my list after hearing you talk about that. Because I, when I put on my list, I was thinking just about the Eternal game, mm. not the fact that I did have that campaign with you. And I did a campaign with Bridget. So like yeah. a campaign game that I've played two full campaigns of in a year. Like that is pretty crazy now That's that I good. think about it. So yeah, we'll lift that one up a little bit. Okay, cool. But yeah. And like you said, like it could not have been designed by somebody with less good instincts. You know, Knizia has got the best instincts, got the most experience. He's the handsomest. He's like really light on his feet. You know, have you seen those like, bow ties? He's quiet. Like you can't yeah. even hear him. Like he'll sneak up behind you. Uh, <laughs> and you know, without those attributes, it, it, no, nobody could have designed this game. And if you want to hear more from us about it, episode 113 is an exploration of that eternal game. It's a deep dive. Uh, and honestly, we, we cover that in part one, which is episode 113, because we don't feel enough people talk about it or appreciate it. Shout out to JC in our Discord who told us about it. The eternal game is amazing. Also, episode 114 is our coverage of the campaign, which of course 
is amazing as well. So Jake, what's your number one game of the year of so far that you've been enjoying in 2023? The game that I have been enjoying the most so far in 2023 is, of course, Challengers. Yes! <laughs> yeah, the only game that I played well over 100 times this year and counting. For me, it's become a routine where most mornings... I'll wake up, have a cup mm. of coffee, and I'll play a live game of Challengers on Board Game Arena while I'm doing that. And it's, you know, cool. it's like been become like a ritual for me. Like I have such a fun time doing that every time. There have been moments where I've felt like, okay, I've played this game like 150 times. Like maybe my like enthusiasm for it is waning. Like I kind of feel like I hit a plateau in my skill ceiling. I don't think I've ever got back to like elo 300 where i was hovering at really early on when we were reviewing it for the show but then i kind of get a breakthrough or like I'll, I'll hit several wins in a row and i just feel like okay maybe i am starting to like figure out something a bit more again and then as soon as i'm improving you know i'm i'm loving it so i mean yeah i think for challengers it's just fun it's thrilling the skill ceiling is really truly there and you know it's like of all these games, it's the one where I feel like at the start of the game, like anything is possible. Like the possibility horizon for like what could happen in this game feels so immense to me. And that makes it just really exciting to like click start and play another game. I also had the opportunity to organize a 16 person challengers like mega game at the gamers ranch. So that was definitely one of my in-person gameplay highlights. So there's there's no way. I mean, there's no other game that comes close for me to challengers for how much I've played it and enjoyed it this year. I think that challengers, you know, one thing I really want to make sure we emphasize is that the the design is just so good. Like the math of that game is really well thought out and designed in a way that lets the game push and pull and feel flexible while also kind of keeping it all on rails in a way that it's the perfect magic trick. Like it's different every time, but it also can never, it never wavers so far that you feel like, oh, I was dealt a hand that never could have won, at least in my hundred plays. Right. Can I ask you a question? What yeah. what's like okay, you can never do this in challengers and that's part of the fun. But if you could, like what's the archetype you want to play at this point? Like what do I think is like most fun to play? Yeah, most fun or like what's the like deck you want to see come together? I really like having like a critical mass of deck manipulation these days. So I think having uh deck manipulation like Sailor is a card that I've really grown in yeah, my that's a great card. of. It's yeah, it might be busted. Yeah. <laughs> so you know having the the crazy synergy recursion deck with necromancers and stable boys yeah, and sick. and a critical mass of you know deck manipulation so that because i hate having the like all the combos and then they just come out in the wrong order so like having that deck with like some element of consistency clairvoyance that's, like, that's my favorite type of deck yeah. right now i think that the thing about challengers that's so fun is that the decisions that are the most interesting are the ones that have to do with like timing and your perception of what you should be doing at that moment in the game. Are you ahead? Are you behind? What is someone else going to be playing? Is it time to pivot out of the deck? Do you cut the sailor? Like they're hard decisions that there's no real right answer to, which is what keeps it fun time after time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brendan, I just wanted to read the designers. I didn't really think about this until we were mentioning all the designers and how we're fanboys and everything. And yeah. we, I mean, I think, you know, if you're a listener, just take that as like, this is us being honest. Like, we're not trying to like cultivate an interesting list for you. We're just we're going into the tank yeah. and thinking about, you know, as authentically as possible, what are the games we've been enjoying the most? So here's what, here, here are the, the designers I've selected. Richard Garfield, Reiner Knizia, Freedom and Frieza, uh, Kramer and Kiesling, Stefan Feld, Kramer and Kiesling again, Kramer and Kiesling again, Stefan Feld again, Reiner Knizia again, and then Johannes Krenner and Marcus Slawitschek. Slawitschek. So okay. credit to those two gentlemen, uh, <laughs> because the rest of the designers on my list are bona fide legends. Yeah, that's it's. this is a really interesting frame, Jake, because... For me, going in uh, 10 to 1 order, Matt Gertz, uh, Kramer and Kiesling, Kinesia, John Bohr, Kiesling, Kinesia, Kramer and Kiesling, <laughs> then uh, Johannes Krenner and Marcus Slawitzchek, then back to 
Knizia back to Knizia. So it, we we've I guess we have favorite designers. Yeah, it, and that's probably going to come out more on like this list where it's just yeah. all about our personal. What are you enjoying? Right than anything else but yeah i did think that was interesting and i also think maybe our tastes are converging a little bit just by virtue of doing this show and like you know just talking to each other for an hour uh and change every week about games and decisions and games and all that definitely though if you throw in our honorable mentions i get at least four new designers so oh well I'm not, we're not counting that. And also you picked a bunch of games that I like genuinely don't like at all. So (laughs) (laughs) Jake, do you want to come over for my Tigress and Euphrates Chicago Express Zubatis day? Well, yeah. Oh, dude, I'm just actually. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of our list. Brendan, do you have any final thoughts or should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up. I, I've been name dropping episodes all episodes. So I'm going to close just by doing that again. Jake mentioned at the top that we've done this before. Uh, we covered our top 10 games of 2022 so far back on episode 77 of Decision Space. If you've enjoyed this show, you should go back and listen to that one. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I think you'll enjoy it too. We really enjoy the opportunity to reflect and we'd love to hear your top 10 games of 2023 so far. So the best place to do that is by coming into our Discord and telling us. And you can find the link to that in our show notes or on decisionspacepodcast.com. And as always, we just want to thank Hembry for our intro and outro song. Reach out and we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.